We're very fortunate to have Chris Knowles on today's podcast. Knowles is the athletic director at Sandpoint High School. That's right. I'm interviewing my boss. Knowles is a former basketball coach at, uh, at, at the high school and college levels. He graduated from Coeur d'Alene High School, where he was part of a good Viking squad uh, that played uh, legendary games uh, here at uh, Sandpoint High School. Coach Knowles, thanks for talking some basketball with us. How's everything down the hallway? Uh, it's really good. I haven't seen you in like 15 minutes. So, um, I really appreciate you having me on, Will. And I got to tell you that I've listened to almost all your podcasts and it's super cool to, to hear all these coaches from across the state and get involved with each other. So, so great job on that. Well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun and, uh, it's helped me out as a coach as we're getting closer to this season. So I have you on to talk about the coach AD relationship, yep. but I also have some questions about your playing and coaching sure, experience. Sure. So yeah. just, uh, you had the fortune to play under Donnie Haynes. And for those out there that, uh, that don't know, you probably hear a few stories about Donnie. Uh, but he's, uh, Idaho basketball coaching legend. I think, uh, five state titles, won all over the state and, uh, was able to, uh, teach coach Knowles a little bit of, uh, defense, right? Just a little bit. You know, he needed to teach me a lot more. There was no doubt about that. Yeah. But, uh, thanks for bringing coach Haynes up. You know, he's one of those guys that, you know, as a young person growing up, um, you find people that, that give their time and they do things for you. And that was absolutely what coach Haynes was, um, to me and to, to countless other young men throughout the course of his, his, you know, 30, however many year career. Um, you know, he, he was an amazing guy. Um, not only was he a phenomenal basketball coach, he was a great school teacher. You know, I had him as a, as a history teacher. Um, he was an amazing storyteller. Um, but you know, I think probably the, the thing that separates coach Haynes from a lot of the other coaches that I've seen throughout the course of my career, was, um, and I know a lot of coaches do this, but Coach Haynes really cared about kids and the connections that he made with kids, with young people. Um, He didn't treat, you know, the six foot seven kid any different than he treated, you know, the five foot 10 kid who basically couldn't play any defense like me. He put the time in and he really cared. And and he was one of those guys that, um, you know, he, he wanted the best for you, not only because he thought you might help him as a basketball player, but also because he knew knew that that not every kid comes from the same background and he could he could connect with kids that way um, he was an amazing mentor he was an amazing basketball coach you know I I, I kind of laugh you know I actually had had two high school basketball coaches I played for Jim Winger my senior year and there could not have been back in those days two opposite type coaches you know coach Haynes was was kind of like your grandpa you know you didn't want to disappoint him you worked as hard as you could because you just didn't want to you know hear one of coach Haynes's 10 million lines leather doesn't penetrate flesh or you know whatever those lines were when coach winger came in it was you know kind of bobby knight reincarnated at 26 years old but um you know getting back to coach change just an amazing amazing human being you know i can remember going over and, and having dinners at his house and you know just hearing these stories about meridian and scott johnson and great teams he had at twin falls and you know he actually won the the very first a1 5a now uh, state title 1964 at kellogg high school and you know here I am a, a 15 16 year old kid sitting there eating spaghetti at his house going I want to hear more about Kellogg you know so he was just that amazing storyteller that that just connected with you and made you want to go out there and and do things for him you know and um, just an amazing human being indirectly I I, I fall under his uh, coaching tree because yeah. I got my start with uh, with his son uh, Tyler 
Um, I was fortunate that he moved here to Sandpoint, yeah. and so he started yeah. coming to our practices and stuff like that. Yeah. And and uh, man, he had some he, he has some great stories. Oh my goodness, we I, I can remember, you know, talking to my friends, the guys that I played with, and you know, we didn't know Coach Haynes retired from Coeur High School in 1992 after our junior year, and you know, we never thought that was going to happen. We thought we were going to play for Coach Haynes forever, and we thought maybe we would be part of one of those stories someday. And I can remember hearing stories about Scott Johnson, those great players, and we all wanted to be like those guys, you know. And so you probably got to hear that, you know, good things happen to good people and, you know, um, don't make the same mistake twice and all those things that, you know, are applicable now at 40, however old we are now, 40-some years old, where we can think about that in our, our careers. You know, don't make the same mistake twice and good things happen to good people. And, and I think that's an amazing thing that coaches do. My kids are very familiar with the uh, leather does not penetrate flesh <laughs> line. <laughs> I got that one a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, just you talked about him, uh, his character, and mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, that's what I saw. What about as an X's and O's coach? Yeah. What, 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 what made him kind of stand well, out? Yeah, Donnie was maybe a little different than what you see, you know, kind of in some modern day basketball. Um, Donnie was very concerned about what we did as a program. Um, He wasn't necessarily overly concerned about what other teams did. I guess you could, you know, maybe that comes out of the kind of John Wooden model of coaching a little bit. Um, We're going to do what we do and we're going to do it really, really well. Um, X's and O's wise, he was a guy that could very much adapt what he did to the players that he had. So we were a program that he used to call it passing game, which is essentially a five-man motion, right? And we could adapt that if we had three guards in the lineup or if we had even four guards in the lineup or if we had bigs or we had smalls. You know, Coach Haynes was, was just ahead of the curve when it came to basketball stuff. Um, and on the offensive end, we had a lot of sets. Sideline break was my favorite thing known to humankind because I was the dude that wrote and ran up the sideline and got the three. Um, free throw breaks, you know, a lot of different things that other coaches didn't do at that time period. Now, maybe a little non-traditional, um, Coach Haynes played a ton of zone. You know, he, he played a lot of 2-3 zone. And, you know, if you go back to maybe some of the years back when, you know, some of those great coaches like Greg, Greg Hordeman and Kirk Williams, you know, down, down in the Boise Valley and the SIC, those guys were all different. You know, Hordeman played man-to-man defense, and, you know, that, those, those teams were going to kind of tear your head off a little bit. Donnie played a lot of 2-3 zone, and we played a lot of 2-3 zone at Coeur d'Alene, you know. But um, he was ahead of the game when it came to that kind of stuff. You know, um, I can remember – when I was a sophomore playing on a team that, that was really, really good, great player, Shad Birch, kid that was maybe one of the high, most highly recruited kids in the state of Idaho at that time. Um, you know, Jared Clausen, who went to, to College of Idaho, Albertsons at that time, won a national title. I mean, we had set plays for those guys that were just really good, you know. Um, but different than maybe a lot of what coaches do today, there wasn't a whole lot of plan B. There was just plan A, and we were going to do that really, really well. Like a lot of high school players that love the game, you went on to to yeah. coach, and yeah. uh, you have experience as a coach both on the boys and the girls side. Yep. And you spent time as an assistant at NIC. So can you kind of talk about your path as a coach? Sure. Yeah. You know, it wasn't uh, I, I didn't decide I was going to be a coach when I was in high school. You know, I actually wanted to be a physical therapist, and you know, wound up trying to to play junior college basketball, and kind of felt like you know I, I I think I got more to give here. You know, with the game, and I really kind of started to think about the people that gave me a lot, you know, uh, primarily, you know, three people in my life, Charlie Nip, Donnie Haynes, and Jim Winger. And those guys were great mentors. And I thought, gosh, I, I, I wouldn't be where I would be without 
people like that. Well, what's the common denominator in all of that? Well, that was coaching basketball. You know, so I changed my major and I decided I'd get into education and um, actually transferred out of Spokane Community College, went to the University of Idaho. Um, when I was student teaching, I got to student teach at Lake City High School. I got placed at Lake City, which was which was a great experience for me. I actually got to student teach for one of my high school basketball coaches and got plugged right in, um, was able to be an assistant coach there um, on the boys' side for a number of years, four or five years, something like that. Um, was able to, to get the head boys job at Lake City there for a couple of years, which, you know, anybody who who's young, I was 28 when I got that job and didn't know one thing about being a head coach, it was the best thing that ever happened to me was being thrown to the fire, you know. Um, so I was able to do that for a time period and then um, was very fortunate to be able to coach girls basketball at Lake City. And, you know, if I could, and I know this is something we'll probably talk a little bit about later, but, you know, if I could give any advice to the young coaches, don't be picky on what side you coach, you know, just coach, you know, and um, you, you learn how to communicate, you learn how to do things differently with girls than you do with boys. So I had that, that great experience. We actually, uh, I coached at Lake City there. Um, we actually, I was an assistant and we won the state title in 2007. We actually beat a, a, a phenomenal Coeur d'Alene team in the Idaho Center in front of about nine people. I mean, who's going to go watch the state title game between Lake City and Coeur d'Alene in Nampa? But um, great experience there. Got to coach a, a player that's now the associate head coach, I believe, at Oregon State. Um, Katie Faulkner is her name. It was Katie Baker back then was her maiden name. And, you know, Katie was just just an exceptional athlete to coach. Um, so that was a heck of a lot of fun. Did that for a number of years and then, then decided I wanted to kind of, you know, see what the college game was all about and um, was able to spend a couple of years at North Idaho College um, coaching with Jared Fay, um, I, who I believe has been on your podcast, and, and Corey Simmons, who's now the, the head coach at North Idaho, has had great success down there. Um, and that, that was a phenomenal experience. It was kind of one of those step out of your comfort zone moments, you know, and, and get after it in a way that that's just different. And, you know, got to learn a lot about um, how to coach different types of players. You know, obviously, you know, when I was at Lake City, I never got to, to coach a Division One kid you know, at least a division one basketball kid. And a ton of those kids at North Idaho were, were those type of guys. Well, it just takes a different direction with those type of guys than, than the high school kids. But it was a great experience. Um, got to learn a little bit about the recruiting game, got to connect, you know, network with a number of coaches, which I really think helped my career and, and later on helped me frame some decisions as an athletic director. So, um, and now I'm, I'm doing a little different type of coaching, you know, coaching some, some younger kids, my own kids. So, uh, but that was kind of my path, you know, mostly an assistant, um, but, you know, got to, to work for some really good people, work with some really good people that are, that are still in the game and doing a good job. One of the things that I've come to realize is that you got to coach for yourself, yeah. right? Yeah, and for so, sure. And there's got to be a reason why you're doing it. So what was kind of your why with coaching? Like, what do you like about it? Well, I'm pretty competitive, you know, and, and I can only play so much golf and I can only do those things without, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I'll go back to Donnie Haynes. Donnie Haynes said something to me one time when I was about 16 and, you know, probably not acting as good as I should have. And, and he just looked at me and he says, the world makes sense to you between the four lines, doesn't it? And I said, yeah, it does make sense to me between the four lines. So it was just kind of a path going down that I understood and um, I come from a family of educators, so that, that helped to, you know, get into that, that education world. But, um, you know, it, 
I, I didn't set out to be a high school coach or to be a college coach or to be an athletic director. It was just kind of, you know, things happen for a reason, another Donnie Haynes line, you know, but just kind of started to get there. Um, and I was competitive and I wanted to stick with it. And I just love the game. You know, at the end of the day, I don't think in my opinion, and, you know, I'm sure there'll be football coaches and soccer coaches that listen to me right now and say he's wrong, but I don't think there's a better game. For, for teaching the things that make you a better person. Humility, you know, it's, it's, it, you're five on five out there, man, and, and you're right in front of a crowd and you're exposed, you know, and your successes are, are elevated and your, your difficulties are elevated. Um, but I just don't think there's a better game out there, and I just wanted to continue to be involved with it. Um, you talked a little bit about this, but uh, based on what you learned in your career, what's some advice that you'd give to younger coaches that are starting out? Yeah, coach, that's a great question. And when I got your list, I thought a lot about it. And I think there's just a, three or four things that I would really recommend to young coaches. And, you know, maybe this is not specifically basketball related, but, you know, I'd spend a little time cleaning up social media. You know, as a young coach, as a young person, maybe coming out of college or trying to get involved in it, you know, your social media presence, particularly Facebook, is really important. You know, what people see about you, um, you know, something we didn't have to deal with coming out, you know, that just wasn't wasn't a factor. Now that's definitely part of, of what we as administrators would look at. But um, I know that, that other coaches, you know, I talk to coaches all the time and, you know, we, we have lots of conversations about, you know, young coaches coming up and, you know, this guy, that girl, you know, could they do it? Could they not do it? And one of the things that continually comes up is what are they like in, in, in social media platforms, right? So, so make sure that's a positive thing. You know, I, I just think that you have to find um, – you have to find a mentor. You have to find somebody that, you know, doesn't have to be somebody you played for, doesn't have to be somebody that's even, you know, maybe, you know, phenomenally established as a head coach or, or whatever, but, you know, connect up with somebody that you can learn from. You know, that, that benefited me in so many different ways because, you know, I, I, I mean, I can relate to the person that came out from playing and thought they knew the game until you get on the other side of it and you don't really, I mean, you know what you know. But find a mentor that, that absolutely can push you, that can get you out of your comfort zone, you know. And I think sometimes that means, you know, maybe not just going straight back to your hometown, you know, like I did. You know, get out. Find somebody. Um, you know, I, I think somebody else mentioned this maybe on one of your podcasts I was listening to, but go to practices. You know, contact coaches. You know, I can remember at North Idaho getting emails from guys and, you know, like, hey, can we come watch practice? What do you think about this? You know, and um, college coaches, for the most part, particularly, you know, mid-major, mid-level coaches, you know, they're going to take the time to, to connect with you. Um, and, and don't be afraid. You know, at the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know. And there's no such thing as a dumb question unless you know the answer. So, you know, get after it as far as finding people to connect with. Um, you know, so that's kind of... You know, the other thing I, I, I have told coaches in our building and told coaches that have asked is, you know, at the end of the day, you got to learn how to communicate a little bit, you know, and I shouldn't say a little bit, a lot. And you got to learn how to communicate with <laughs> with parents, which is never easy, you know, and you got to learn to communicate with teenagers, which is just as hard, you know, but that's not a skill that, that comes easy for some people. No, I, I agree. And, I, you know, I the one thing that was kind of interesting is the arc between what you talked about at first and then yeah. and and then at the end there um is that that idea of social media and what you're posting yeah. is that you know what we think is a joke 
is pretty serious to some other people, oh, well, sure. you know, yeah. and so you just never know yeah. and, and, you know, uh, how somebody might take something or yeah. if somebody's not happy with playing time, right. that stuff is out there and they can find it oh, and absolutely. they're going to use it against you. Yeah, and I, I think that's definitely something to be aware of. But on the flip side, I've also, you know, looked at people, young coaches that are either, you know, looking to come to Sandpoint or, you know, just reaching out and their social media platform is really good. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it really does paint a good picture. Now, I would never in a million years say put something on there that's not true, but you can also use social media as a platform that, that kind of gives you uh, or gives a, a future employer or somebody that you may want to work with or coach with, you know, the idea of who you are. So it can go both ways for sure. You did mention that you're coaching younger kids, including yep. your daughters. They're starting to uh, play travel ball and stuff. Yep. yep. Yeah. So what are some of the things that are the same that you see between kind of those generations, between the Division One potential yep. and maybe the kids that eventually will have Division One potential? Yeah. Well, you know, I think that they're – you still got to be able to shoot. You still got to be able to dribble the ball. You still got to be coachable and you still got to learn to play some defense. You know, I mean, those, those things are, are universal, whether you're, you know, I'm, I'm coaching a sixth grade team this year, um, which to be really, really frank and honest last year when they were fifth graders tried my patience way more than ever being a varsity coach. Um, but at the end of the day, those fundamentals are not different than what you work on at those higher levels. You know, when I was at NIC, you know, we would do fundamental work every single day. Now, it wasn't the same every day, but we would do something that it was a fundamental skill in the game of basketball, whether it was posts and guards, whether it was, you know, working on shot fakes, ball fakes, you know, those kind of things. Those are the exact same things that can help a fifth grader or a sixth grader become better. So, so the it's the game is not that much different you know it, how you apply those skills is much different you know but I, I i would tell anybody at any level you know and uh, particularly you know younger levels is to to spend time on fundamentals my my oldest daughter allison's got a coach and they call it everydays and they do the same ball handling and shooting and things every single day and i believe they're going into their third or fourth year now and you know those kids are really starting to get it you know and, and it puts them a little bit ahead now the difference being at, at nic when you're working with those kids they you know when when you're teaching layups left-handed layups to sixth graders they're dunking it you know, so there is some differences, but the, the game really isn't that much different. I, you're now an AD at a 4A school, and so um, we've got a pretty big, robust program here at, uh, at Sandpoint. And so I was just wondering, what's your philosophy on the relationship between an AD and a, and a coach? Yeah, it's another great question, Will. And, you know, I, I think the number one most important thing that an AD can do for a coach is to let them be a coach, is to let them develop into who they're going to be, um, let them insert their personality into and support them as long as they're supporting kids. You know, I think that, you know, I've learned, it's my 10th year as an athletic director, I've learned that probably the most important thing with that is just simple communication, right? You have to be able to trust each other. You have to be able to, to know that there are going to be times where you may not agree, but at the end of the day, you got to walk out of that room unified that we're going to go do this thing, you know, and that doesn't 
come easy for some people. You know, um, there's lots and lots of coaches out there that that are type A personalities and they want to have their way and they, you know, they're working in their silo and they don't care about another sport or they don't care about another school. Um, but ultimately, part of the job of the athletic director is to get coaches to understand that, you know, it's a we thing. It's an us thing. Right. Um, that relationship is absolutely critical. And I've had them all across the board, you know, from coaching with people that that I you know, Tyler Haynes, as an example, Tyler Haynes was an assistant when I played for his dad. When I got here, he was the head basketball coach, you know, so kind of almost a role reversal. So I've had situations like that. I've, I've hired coaches that were in their 70s when I hired him that had coached for, you know, 40 some years, 50 years by the time I hired him. Those relationships are different, but you have to find a way to, to trust and to communicate and, and to build a relationship of some sort there. You know, it's it's really... It's a, it can be a difficult thing, but it's no different than than being a coach and developing relationships with players or being a teacher and developing relationships with the students in your class. But um, I, I would say probably the most important thing there is is to have some sort of, you know, commonality of trust between the two. Well, I'd say in that relationship part, two things that I've appreciated – there's multiple things, but uh, two that stand out to me is when you told me – one, hey, think about what you're doing here. And I'm not going to talk about the situation, mm-hmm. but basically we sat down and you said, hey, maybe you should approach this a little bit differently. And I ended up approaching it differently and I yeah. and I learned a lot from that. And then also the other case was backing me up in a situation, right. you know, and right. uh, again, not going to talk about that, sure. but, yeah. but it's a uh, situation that comes up with coaches all the time. But, right. uh, you know, those were two things that uh, really meant a lot to me. And, and I well, guess I on, on my end, like really, you know, yeah. develop that relationship. Sure. Well, you know, coach at the end of the day, I mean, I've been through situations as a head coach that were so tough that I just didn't know how and where I was going to go, but I had somebody I could go talk to. I had somebody that I could kind of work through situations are what they were and how we could fix it. Um, If you as a coach don't have somebody that you can talk to about those things, then, then, then it makes the job harder. Right. And Conversely, as an athletic director, if you don't have coaches that you can go to and say, hey, gosh, you know, let's let's look at this angle or let's talk about this or whatever, you know, I think that that it doesn't work. Right. I also think, you know, I had a conversation with an athletic director just yesterday just talking about, um, you know, the difficulty sometimes with challenging parents. You know, we're in a, a an environment right now where coaches are under the microscope more than they have ever been. I mean, it doesn't matter now. Um, and we were talking about a situation where we have a coach um, in our region that's won three state titles in the last nine years and just phenomenally successful and, you know, multiple Division One players and, you know, kids just coming out of that program really, really better for being in that program. And this athletic director is asking me, well, God, that kid, you know, he wears his hat backwards. How do you, why do you let him wear his hat backwards? Well, because he connects with kids. Those little things don't, you know, yeah, I suppose they can matter to some people, but they don't. But um, you have to look at every situation kind of uniquely, I guess. Um, And every coach is a little different. I I just, I don't fall into the philosophy that you got to micromanage good people. You know, you just got to let them do their thing and support them when they need it. And sometimes support's not always saying, hey, you're right, go ahead. Sometimes support is, let's look at it in a a different way. 
So you've been an AD for a decade now and had to do some hires. Mm -hmm. Um, What what can coaches do to make themselves stand out when applying for a job? Well, I I think the number one thing I think personally when I'm looking at people to either hire as a head coach or to help hire as an assistant coach is they got to be completely forthright about who they are, what their philosophies are, you know, what what their leadership mentality is, and be aggressive without being pushy. You know, I mean, and that's hard to kind of say, and it's hard to kind of, you know, I guess quantify, but at the end of the day, be assertive, make those calls, you know, come to the school. You know, um, I guess another thing that's probably really evident with young coaches, especially when they're applying for maybe their first head coaching job, which we, you know, I think we get a a fair amount of, um, is they've got to do their homework on the school and the community. You know, Sandpoint's different than Coeur d'Alene. You know, Middleton's different than, you know, CUNA. You know, so th- there are places in the state of Idaho and across the region that your culture is just a little different in every community. Yes, you can bring things from programs that you've been involved in or philosophies or whatever, but at the end of the day, you know, the community's culture is going to be real vital in whether that, that coach survives. So do some of that research beforehand. You know, um, one thing that that I, I was taught long ago um, is when you're trying to work on your upward, upward mobility, when you, it, it's easier to get a job than it is to keep a job, you know? So you got to figure out a way, you know, getting the job's great, celebrate for like a day and then, then get after it. You got to figure out a way to make sure that you're still the guy or the girl. Right. And, and that's a, that's about relationships. Our, our business and for young coaches coming in, our business is, is not rocket science, but it's a people business. Right. And, and the people that coaches work with are their players and are their students. And it's their parents, it's their families. And, you know, don't shy away from those tough conversations with families. I mean, I, I was guilty of that as a young coach, you know, Oh God, I don't want to talk to so-and-so. I don't want to talk to so-and-so, but you know, at the end of the day, you've got to, you got to do those things. Um, so don't shy away from that. You know, um, probably most, most important is to, to have confidence without being overconfident. You know, um, feel like you can do the job, believe that you can do the job, go sell that you can do the job, but, you know, be genuine about it. You know, make sure that it's a, it's a, a genuine feel that you can go out there and do that job and, um, and, and believe that it'd be who you are. You know, I, 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 I kind of fell into that early in my career that, you know, I was going to try and be so-and-so or be like, you know, so-and-so. And, you know, you got to be who you are and you got to, you got to, you know, attack coaching in your personality not in somebody else's yeah i think uh you know several great points there but i think being yourself because i just remember at a point when i was coaching jv boys basketball and i was just not happy with mm-hmm. myself and i realized well i'm just not being myself i right. thought yeah. thought i was needed to be bobby knight yelling and stuff like that and right. i'm like that's just not my disposition yeah. you know so yeah for sure. um and then you know i think also, you know, great advice on getting to know the community, both beforehand and then also afterwards, right. if you're new to a community. Yeah. I know that I've talked to uh, several coaches about trying to explain Sandpoint, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. it's just a, it's a different community here yeah. uh, than a lot of a lot of places. And, oh, and believe me, coach, when you're a Coeur d'Alene High School grad and you take the Sandpoint AD job, <laughs> you hear about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, uh, I appreciate your time. I got a couple more questions sure, for you. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I wanted to ask, because I know that this has been kind of crazy all throughout the state, but 
um, with the pandemic and mm-hmm. scheduling. What's it What's it been like in regards to scheduling basketball? It's incredibly difficult right now, and mm-hmm. um, you know, probably different than maybe other spots in the state. You know, we up in the Panhandle, we rely on on Washington for a lot of games. And we lost them all in basketball. So um, it's a challenge. We're, we're looking at uh, maybe one of the fortunate things of um, what we a decision that we made inside of the Inland Empire League for the 5As and the 4As to all play each other. You know, we're benefiting from that. That gives us, a, a, you know, X amount of games. Um, the non-leagues are the ones that are really difficult to get right now. Um, we're going to be looking at probably having to play, even put together a tournament, maybe look at um, playing some smaller schools more, multiple times maybe even playing league opponents three times but it's a challenge right now and 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 that can be said for all sports you know the the pandemic has hit us in ways that we didn't anticipate you know quite frankly when when we went out of school in march you know we were all hoping you know believe it or not that we were coming back after spring break you know and then we were hoping that that maybe we could get back in school before graduation and then we were hoping that we could be full bore you know when we came back into school and we haven't hit any of those marks yet you know so scheduling basketball is going to be a challenge i i'm still not sure what um state tournaments are going to look like you know i'm still not sure what what interstate travel is going to look like you know i mean if the state tournament you know in basketball is always in the boise valley what's that look like for us to to leave sandpoint and travel through washington and oregon to get down there you know so it's it's a monumental challenge but you know i i had a great speaking of mentors i had a great mentor as an administrator that used to say there's only there's only solutions there's not problems Okay, well, the pandemic's a bit of a problem, but we'll find the solution. So we'll make it work. Maybe it, you know, maybe it looks like our, we're not going to play our typical 21. You know, maybe we play 19. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think our coaches, and you and I have talked about that, I think our coaches are pretty understanding that that's the situation that we're in. Um, we have, you know, schools in our region that, you know, have kind of been in and been out and back in again. And, you know, I don't know what uh, – you know, surge in positive cases looks like, you know, but it's definitely a challenge. But, you know, I, I, I'm very appreciative of our region. I'm very appreciative of the coaches and the administrators, you know, locally, especially that have just kind of taken on the mindset of we're going to do the best we can for kids. And so that's kind of where we're at on scheduling. Um, so it's it's a challenge. All right. So uh, last question for you. Um, last uh, guest was uh, John Nettleton from uh, Mountain View, yeah. and he was talking about a, a basketball coaching alliance. And, and obviously there's some things on that end that uh, I know that Coach Nettleton and some other coaches want to get changed. Uh, with your experience uh, in Idaho high school basketball, what would be one thing that you would change? Well, I think it's a no-brainer, um, Coach. I, I think we got to get a shot clock in the state of Idaho. Um, I think it's time. You know, I, I just I've seen the game in both facets, shot clock, non-shot clock. I've seen you know Washington, particularly in girls basketball, go to it. I believe a 35-second shot clock. Um, I just think it makes the game better. You know, I, I me personally, I would advocate it both on the boys and the girls side. Um, but I just think we're we're at a point in the game where that would benefit 
speeding it up a little bit. You know, I, I've heard all the arguments against it. I've heard all the arguments for it. Um, I've tried to, to be pretty thoughtful about thinking about the arguments against it. And um, I just really think it's time to start looking at that. Um, yeah, it's going to be a little more work on administrators. Yeah, we've got to get another person to run the clock. Yeah, there's some expenses. You know, maybe in the middle of a pandemic it's not the right time to put it in. But I think we have to look at that. You know, um, I think the parallel can be made that, that you know, recently the state of Idaho went to three-man mechanics at state tournaments. You know, I was a, and still am a huge proponent of that. I think it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, I, I had, was having a conversation over the summer my daughter Allie was playing in a, a softball tournament in Boise and happened to be sitting next. Uh, we played a team from Moses Lake and happened next, to be sitting next to a guy, socially distanced, six feet away, um, from a guy that was coaching basketball in Moses Lake. And, and we were talking about the shot clock. And, you know, I kind of tried to bring up some of the arguments that I've heard that, you know, it takes some opportunities away, it takes some, some coaching philosophies away. And, and he just kind of looked at me and he goes, are you talking about end the clock scenario? And I said, yeah. I mean, there's coaches that definitely say that, you know, I want to be able to stall or I want to be able to hold or I want to be able to do whatever. And he just kind of looked at me and he goes, well, with 35-second shot clock, you've got an end-of-clock scenario every 35 seconds. You can actually affect the game as a coach probably more than you can without the shot clock. Now, there's definitely the people that would argue that that's a bad thing. Right. It needs to be you know, more about the players, less about the coaches. But, you know, overall, coach, I just think we need to look at a shot clock. I think it would would benefit us in the long run. Um, you know, we, we've joked for years that sometimes change in Idaho is like an ice age. It doesn't necessarily come quickly, um, but it's time. You know, and I, I, I admire you guys for, for getting after it with a coaching alliance. And, you know, just like anything, if that's if that's the direction that the coaches want to go, there's power in numbers. There's power in that alliance to be able to say, here's here's something that think we think would benefit the game, you know. But um, I just think that's one thing that, that would do us a lot of good. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, I think the big thing is that we are fortunate, obviously not this year, but we're fortunate to get the opportunity to play, you know, sometimes three, four games yep. with a shot clock. And it's just, it, it, it makes a huge, huge difference. What and do you think the kids think about it? I, you know, I think they enjoy it. I think uh, it moves the game yeah. along. I think, um, you know, can they verbalize that? No. But on the other hand, uh, well, most kids probably couldn't. Yeah. But but I think there it's just, you know, it, it, it gets them thinking a little bit more sure. too. And, yeah. and and so, you know, I, I think that if if we actually sat them down and said, hey, w- which one do you prefer? I think, you know, with uh, this generation, they'd be like, sure. well, the 35 second, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm just trying to think about some, some games that I've seen recently. And, you know, obviously they're on TV. They're not high school games. But, you know, you, you – shots are getting up before 35 seconds, yeah, yeah. right? I just think it kind of takes away, uh, you know, an angle of the game that me personally, I just, I'm not a fan of, mm-hmm. you know, I just, at the end of the day, I get it's a, it's a strategy to win 13 to 11. You know, I understand that people have had great success with that. You know, the NCAA changed the rule because of the four corners, because Dean Smith went to the four corners towards the end of a game. You know, I get that there are coaches that want to be able to put the ball in the, in the freezer you know, and just hold it, you know, but I think I would argue that a lot of times in those situations, you can actually see leads diminish. Kids aren't used to that, right? So I think if you have that 35 second shot clock throughout the game, it it just will make a better product overall. Well, I think that's, 
the a, a big point here that gets kind of lost is the idea of a product and you know it's it's um it's not a secret that less people are showing up to, you know, activities because not because they don't support the school or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's more, there's more choice. And and I think, you know, uh, on our end, it's not the main reason why we play the way that we play. But I also, in the back of my mind, I want to have an entertaining product that people want to come and watch and afterwards say like, Wow, that was that was a lot of fun to see those kids running up and down the court. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's you can see a vast difference when our teams play in Washington with the thirty-five second shot clock, and, and and when we play here. You know, I don't think anybody in our region, anyways, deliberately delays. You know, I think for the most part, there's a lot of coaches here that would 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 really you know kind of accept the shot clock and, and want to go with it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's an IHSA decision. Um, but, you know, if it's something that, that you as coaches want to kind of, you know, gather up and, and get together on, I think it's, it's worth having that conversation for sure. All right. Uh, one bonus question. Sure. Uh, best fly on the Coeur d'Alene River. Oh, on the Coeur d'Alene River, you know, they put me on the spot. Depends on what the hatch is, right? <laughs> Depends on what's going on. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm I'm always going to go towards a chubby, chubby Chernobyl. You know, something along those lines, maybe a hopper dropper scenario. Um, but any time on the river with any fly is good with me. All right, cool. Well, Coach, I appreciate you coming on and talking. It's been a lot of fun, and hopefully, uh, you know, some people uh, learn some stuff from that AD point of view and stuff like that. And that's why I wanted to have you on. So I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, Will. And keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at idahobasketballcoachingpodcast at gmail.com.